If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to Episode 70 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, Jeff and I are going to discuss what we see as the mainstreaming of lifelong learning, and we're going to reference in particular a special report that came out recently in The Economist. We have a couple of quick notes to start, though, and we're going to want to highlight a resource that we think you might find valuable. First up, we want to be sure to thank your membership, the sponsor for the podcast in the first quarter of 2017. Your membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. Support your learning strategy across all devices and platforms, deliver to a global audience, and empower your organization to be the key education voice for your industry with your membership. You can find out more at yourmembership.com. Next, we encourage you to ask yourself, am I a serious learning business professional committed to investing in my own professional growth and improvement? If the answer to that question is yes, then there's no way you're going to want to miss out on learning technology design, our upcoming virtual conference created specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development. The event will take place March 1st through 3rd, and access will continue through May, and you can get all of the details at ltd.leadinglearning.com. We really hope you and others at your organization will consider joining us. Now, one last item before we start talking about the mainstreaming of lifelong learning, and that's our resource for this episode. Jeff, what do we have this time around? Well, actually, the resource relates very directly to this episode of the podcast, and specifically, it's a free download of the first chapter of Leading the Learning Revolution, which is my book that came out a few years ago. And Leading the Learning Revolution is really a pretty how-to sort of book, a lot of very practical type knowledge in it, but it starts off in the first chapter uh, really just trying to set the overall landscape and highlighting the the major shifts that are driving a, a renaissance in lifelong learning and by extension, the market for lifelong learning. So we thought that uh, being able to have access to that might be helpful to go along with um, some of the other uh, resources that we're going to talk about in this episode. And you could get that resource simply by going to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 70, or you can go more directly by going to leadinglearning.com slash revolution. Now, one of the things that we've been seeing is that uh, increasingly lifelong learning is showing up in in the major media. Um, a, a number of new resources have been created uh, relative to it. Um, I've noticed you know, recently that, for example, in the Harvard Business Review, there have been at least three or four different posts about lifelong learning in, in the last few months, and that never really used to occur. Um, and, but more recently, as you referenced at the, the beginning of the podcast, Lisa, The Economist, you know, that venerable old uh, British institution, um, came out with a special report on, on lifelong learning and, and really declared it uh, an economic imperative at this point. And, you know, in other words, it's time to, to really start taking lifelong learning seriously as 
part of the economy from from their um, standpoint, but uh, just you know as part of of life um, in, in general. And uh, you know certainly for us, and I think for most of our listeners, um, this isn't necessarily news. We've we've believed this for a long time, um, but it's nice to you know have uh, uh, an institution like the Economist declare that lifelong learning is now so important. And we've seen other evidence that uh, that lifelong learning really is just going mainstream at this point. All right. Well, we dedicated uh, an earlier podcast to um, the Pew uh, report around lifelong learning and technology. So another example there of really looking at, you know, mainstream across uh, the culture in the United States, you know, how are uh, adults thinking about lifelong learning and the impact that technology is having on it. So that's just, you know, one, again, relatively recent uh, example of of, uh, a group that you don't necessarily associate directly with learning focusing on lifelong learning. And uh, I know it was north of 70% of people identified as lifelong learners uh, in, in that report, and there's a, you know, a lot of other great data in it. We'll also make sure we, we link to that from, from this episode. That's a free download that you can access. Uh, obviously, you can, you can access the Economist uh, report as well and read at least up to a certain point before they're going to you know, try to get you to subscribe. Um, and, and we recommend uh, at least reading that far and, and potentially even subscribing for the, for the sake of this particular report. And then, of course, um, you will have the download to the uh, the first chapter of leading the learning revolution but uh, yeah in, in, in general I mean if you're in the in this business of lifelong learning in the market for continuing education and professional development um, you know good good news you know everybody's everybody's paying attention now it's, it's top of mind um, and uh, I think we're gonna see more and more of that well one of the things I really appreciated about the economist report is that I feel like they gave um, good weight to the complexity of the issue here. Mm. Um, And, you know, they start by kind of laying out the landscape. And again, as you've said, Jeff, this is something that we've talked about a lot, the role that technology, the impact that technology is having on how we live um, and therefore how we work and therefore how we learn. But I think sometimes uh, it can get simplified. It can sort of be this, okay, well, technology is resulting in automation, and so we're losing jobs. Right. But of course, it, it, it goes much deeper than that. Um, we're, we're certainly losing some jobs, but uh, new jobs are coming along. And, and maybe most importantly, just the, the nature of, of all jobs um, seems to be changing at, at this point. You know, And I, you know, I think the argument has been, and, and the economist highlights, as, as you said, they don't you know, treat this as a simple issue. It's not just, you know, I'll go get more education so I'll be able to be employed in this new market. I'll kind of you know stay ahead of the curve. It, you, you can't really stay ahead of the curve. You have to kind of bend with the curve uh, in a way. And, and they point out some interesting facts that, um, that yes, you know, it, it's still valuable to have the formal education. It's still valuable to get the college degree. That's probably not going away anytime soon. But at the same time, wages have been flattening out for higher educated uh, workers. So you can get the job, but the job may not pay as well. Of course, at the same time, for more low educated workers, the jobs could be disappearing. You know, so that, there's that end of the uh, equation. And a lot of times, those higher educated workers are actually moving into roles that used to be populated by the lower educated workers. So you know, they're coming into work that's you know less cognitively demanding, potentially less satisfying. Um, and you know, the only way to kind of as I said, sort of bend with the curve at this point is uh, certainly to have the education, but oftentimes, you know, you have to have a combination of skills. They, they point out that technology is making that uh, more and more necessary. Yeah, I, I, they mentioned this term hybrid jobs, which actually comes from burning glass technologies. It's a Boston-based startup, and 
but I think that was a really interesting point that the jobs are becoming much more complex, you know, that whereas traditionally a job role might have um, looked for skills in, in, you know, competency A, now it's becoming this blend, you know, it's A plus B plus C. And so you are coming up with these kind of hybrid jobs where you're, and, and I think we see this all the time where we talk to associations and they're looking for somebody who can, you know, uh, manage their learning management system, who can uh, help with the marketing of the education products, who can uh, maybe actually uh, do a little bit of material creation. And so that's you're really a blending there. That is a hybrid job. Yeah, definitely. And, and they make the point that, um, you know, vocational um, training is still valuable. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of call, I think, in recent years for maybe let's focus more on vocational training. Let's, you know, go to the community colleges. Let's get people these hard skills in, in some of the complex emerging technical areas that are going to keep them employable. But as they point out, you know, those vocational uh, skills, they'll just get you to the table, um, but then it, it just keeps changing um, from, from that point forward. Whether you're in uh, more of a skill-based or a knowledge-based uh, job, you're going to have to keep learning. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line, and that's really what's driving um, the need for lifelong learning, this idea that it's an economic imperative. Um, and, you know, it's obviously creating challenges, but it's creating a lot of opportunity at, at the same time. Now, you know, they also point out that um, because they are really concerned with this from an economic perspective and the job market and, and how that's changing, um, that, you know, you would think there would be a, a role for employers um, to uh, play in this. But to go back to your, you know, highlighting the, the complexity um, around technology, Salisa, you know, the, the, this employer-employee relationship around learning, I think, is becoming more complex a, as well. Um, you know, and on the one hand, um, employers really aren't investing more um, in training. I mean, you can, I'm sure you can get different figures on that, and, and some groups would say, oh, it really is happening, at least in certain areas. But in, but in general, you know, you can't necessarily count on an employer to continually give you all the skills you need to keep moving along in your job. And of course, if you're working for a smaller employer, which, you know, most people are, you know, you may not have that much formal training in the first place. We've pointed that out before, you know, your average small business doesn't have an HR and training department that's, you know, got a, a formal program uh, for people. So you can't necessarily count on employers to um, provide the education and, and training, but that doesn't mean that they're not expecting that education and training and learning to, to actually happen. Well, and so then it seems like a lot of the burden falls on the the individual, on the employee, to then sort of take on the the responsibility, and that's something we've talked about before: learner responsibility, and something we're fans of. Um, and so that learner has to say, okay, what is it that I need to um, to know that I don't know now, and then how do I learn that so that I can remain uh, relevant, competent, uh, and even you know excel and grow uh, in my career and in my job. Now, of course, where employers, you know, are coming into play with respect to that is uh, they're trying to identify employees who are capable of, of doing that. So I think, you know, this could this could change the hiring process um, quite a bit, uh, you know, from the perspective of a job candidate coming in and from the perspective of, you know, whoever's interviewing and, and vetting that job candidate, uh, you know, the job candidate candidate increasingly is going to want to be able to demonstrate that, you know, he or she is a lifelong learner, that they are they are motivated, they are self-starting, you know, they can roll and, and adapt with the 
changes that are going to uh, occur. And employers, um, you know, A, uh, are going to get a lot more skilled at figuring out who those people are, you know, based on their track record, based on how they respond in interview situations and that sort of thing. They're going to be looking for those uh, uh, types of employees. And not just at the, at the big, you know, tech companies. I mean, I think The Economist refers to uh, Microsoft and, and Google and some of those places that are that are actively doing this as part of their hiring and, and recruiting process. But it's going to apply, you know, at, at all levels of, of employment um, going forward. And increasingly, you know, employers are going to be looking at um, not necessarily uh, – uh, directed training and specific skills. I mean, that'll still go on, um, but they're going to be looking more at those sort of meta skills. Can we actually teach people how to be better learners so that, you know, if they come in with some good capacity for learning um, and, 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 you know, personal motivation and growth, can we as employers capitalize on that and help them to do that more? Um, and, and obviously that's going to, you know, redound uh, to employers' benefits uh, if they're able to, to do that. But this whole dynamic between, you know, employers and employees um, and, and how they're going to have to work, work together um, or, or work at odds in some cases uh, at, at this whole question of, of lifelong learning going forward. Very, very interesting question. Well, and one thing that I know struck us both as we were thinking about the Economist report as well is is kind of what we might call the philosophical implications of it and, and certainly some social implications of it. I mean, as you noted, I mean, the Economist as you know, as the the publication's title says right there, it makes sense that they should focus on learning from this earning standpoint, and that's how they, um, you know, name the report. Um, but I know I believe, and maybe this is just the uh, outgrowth of being a, a, a liberal arts, you know, graduate. But you know, I definitely believe that learning is not just about earning. I mean, right. Definitely can help in terms of finding a, a career and and uh, a pathway to to making a living. But you know, really, learning is much bigger. I mean, you know, I know that uh, I love to learn things that don't necessarily help me. Um, you know, in, in terms of dollars coming home, um, but that I'm still interested in. And so that sort of uh, bigger picture, that interest that and curiosity that people bring to learning and uh, all of that is, is tied in here. And there's also, and this is really kind of the social issue that would go along with that philosophical issue is, and The Economist does make this point, that, that we have an issue right now of kind of uh, the rich getting richer because the, the, as we were just saying, if the, uh, onus and the burden of kind of the, the learning is really following on that individual employee at this point, well, it tends to be the employees who already are, uh, relatively well educated, who are already are earning at a relatively high level. They're the ones who sort of have the wherewithal to go figure out what it is they need to learn, how to learn it. Uh, they have maybe more flexible schedules and a little bit extra, um, money that they can earmark for for training and for learning than do those um, less skilled, um, lower paying um, jobs. And yeah, and we've, you know, we've uh, cited research before, um, for example, with respect to massive open online courses, uh, MOOCs, you know, which uh, a lot of people saw as sort of the democratization of, of education. Everybody can get access to you know, the best universities, the, the, the best experts um, engage in, in uh, education globally. Um, and the promise of that is fantastic, but the research shows that, you know, that a large percentage of the people, um, the, mass, the, the major percentage of the, the people who are participating in those MOOCs are actually already highly educated. Yeah. Um, 
already you know, have they, college degrees usually. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've got the background, the motivation, the, the tools basically to, to be able to go out and take advantage of, of something like that. And so, you know, what's potentially happening here is, you know, you have automa- automation, automation and uh, uh, robotics and things like that coming along that are, you know, pushing out a lot of lower skilled workers. You have, you know, the, the, the sort of middle level uh, workers um, potentially going into those cognitively less demanding jobs. So it's, you know, kind of a hollowing out of the middle that you hear about in the economy sort of happening relative to, um, to knowledge and, and, and education uh, and job roles as well. And then you've got, you know, it's uh, almost like the, the, the growth of a 1% um, in, the, in the learning realm, you know, the people who are the self-starters who are really going to capitalize on what's going on out there. So, you know, there's, there's some very significant uh, uh, economic um, and, and social um, issues that are, that are buried in, in all of this. And of course, you know, I think anytime you've got big challenges like that on, on a grand level, you're always looking for, okay, who's going to address this? You know, who, who's, whose role is this? And, uh, you know, we, we already talked about employers and I mean, employers uh, certainly have a, a role to play. And I think that, you know, um, that's going to have to be an ongoing discussion. Um, you know, governments certainly have a, a role to, to play in this. And part of that role is going to be, you know, ensuring that the employers you know, act, the, act the way that they need to about this and that, uh, and that employees um, and potentially displaced workers are indeed helped out with lifelong learning. But, uh, you know, I mean, nobody listening to uh, this podcast is going to be surprised, you know, who we see a big opportunity for, uh, you know, what types of organizations have a big role to play here. And of course, it's trade and professional associations. It's just an obvious place for them to be having an impact. And I think that was noteworthy to us in looking at the Economist special report. There is, I believe, one mention of trade unions. Yeah, and, and unions. Yeah, not even, you know, your mm-hmm. standard sort of trade and professional association. It's definitely the, the, the labor organizing uh, organizations. Yeah, and so uh, for us, that's a key another, you know, player who needs to be at the table. You know, we definitely agree with the economist thrust that this has to be, uh, you know, a, a, a group effort. It can't just be the, the learners. It can't just be the employers. It can't just be government. You all have to come together. But yes, we think associations have to be part of that mix as well. And I think that it, ties to that social, uh, philosophical um, implications that we were just touching on. You know, if you think about, you know, the employer kind of has the the corporation's uh, best interests at heart, and that's what they're going to really be looking for in terms of, of training. So they're really going to be probably focused on that that connection between learning and earning and learning and productivity right. and those types of things. But I think... A, Again, to you know, given my bias and and bent, you know that learning is bigger than earning, and so I think that's a role where associations can help support that and help support the learners as they are pursuing not just uh, you know a job, not just a, a paycheck, but also that kind of idea of okay, self fulfillment, kind of the legacy that you want to to leave when when you're done with your career um, and really taking that broader picture and helping to support learners as they form that idea and then see it um, develop and, and play out over the course of their working life and even beyond their working life. And we've made that point, you know, many times before. I mean, associations are so well positioned because, you know, your, your average uh, worker, uh, learner 
is going to stay with them for an extended period of time. I mean, they switch jobs, uh, you know, frequently. Most people are switching jobs a, a dozen different times. They're switching careers some, but they're mostly staying in, 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 the, in the same career. Um, you know, higher education, you, you get your formal higher education, you know, maybe stay involved as an alum, but you're not necessarily looking to your institution of higher education to kind of go with you throughout your life, throughout your career. But associations are positioned to do that. Uh, we've, we've always characterized this as the other 50 years. I mean, you finish your formal education in your 20s, and these days, you've got another 50 years, maybe more <laughs> at this point in front of you, um, during which you're going to be earning, but as you say, too, you know, living your life. I mean, looking for, you know, how are you going to, you know, live a meaningful, satisfied, fulfilling life, and all throughout that, you know, a trade or professional association can be there with you. And, you know, we've said before that we think that there is this just uh, incredibly important third sector of education, and this really is the, 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 the sector of, of lifelong learning um, that is as important, if not more important, than you know the K through 12 and and uh, and higher education uh, sectors, and this really is the place where trade and professional associations uh, can can lead. So you know the Economist characterizes this as an economic imperative. I think we would characterize it as as a life imperative. I mean this is this is the 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 core of living um, uh, a good life basically. Um, and associations just have a, a a great role to play here if if they're going to step up. But again, as you mentioned, you know they're pretty much missing in action in this article. Um, they, they seem to be repeatedly missing in action in a lot of these types of reports and articles um, that come out. Um, this is a place where leadership needs to step up and associations need to have a very, very strong voice with what's happening with uh, lifelong learning. So we encourage you to check out the Economist piece, um, particularly to that point that Jeff just made, because uh, you know when learning shows up in the mainstream and when associations aren't mentioned, I mean, that's that that's a big deal and something that needs to be dealt with and 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 so I don't think we should ignore the mainstream you know media any more than they should be ignoring sort of the association role in learning so we need to we we recommend this reading to you so that you can be aware of kind of the the perspective that's out there um, and being put forth. That's right. So get the the Economist report, get the uh, the Pew report that we'll link to as well. Um, get the the free download of the uh, the first chapter of Leading the Learning Revolution, and uh, you will be prepared to to march forward into the mainstream of lifelong learning. And we're going to march forward now and exit this uh, episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. But uh, as we're doing that, we want to be sure to say thanks again to your membership for being the sponsor uh, for this quarter of the Leading Learning Podcast. And you can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. And we do want to mention once again that uh, registration is still open right now for Learning Technology Design, or LTD, which is our annual event specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education, professional development, and yes, lifelong learning. So if that happens to uh, uh, be who you are, we certainly hope you will join us. You can get all the details and register at ltd.leadinglearning.com. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 70. And while you're there, you will see options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, out of what you hear, we'd be grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that will get you to the right place. And we really do appreciate your doing that. Um, it helps us know that you value the podcast, and it helps others to find the podcast. And we hope you'll consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick a social network of your preference and spread the word that way. 
So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.